I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to the Room 104 podcast. FM 104. Tonight, a former drug mule turned author Natalie Welsh tells us about her nail-biting escape from one of Venezuela's deadliest prisons after getting caught smuggling drugs into the country. Rory Kybert is back with your latest flicks for the weekend. And if you can't get along with your partner's family, is that a deal breaker? More on the Dilemma 10. This is Room 104. FM 104. Hey Kev. Hey Trish. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Thursday. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you for the glorious welcome. You know, I, I like to set my uh, co-presenters up like that. Yeah. You know, we buddies, we partners in this. We are. And now I can see we are we're in a new studio, folks, and it's amazing. Yeah, it's kind of like you know when you your first day of school and you're looking around and yeah. you're like, oh my oh, gosh, wow. who are oh, all these new people? Yeah. Well, the new walls. I know, and the bright <laughs> lights and the screens and I can actually see we're way closer now. Do you feel that? Yeah. I can yeah, reach out yeah, and touch you. I can you. actually touch you. Oh my you. god. Oh, oh, look at that. Look at that. <laughs> That's beautiful. We just did a finger tap. <laughs> Oh, how was your day? Uh, good. Um, what did I do? I watched this mad documentary about uh, a free soloer guy. Do you know these guys who climb mountains with no wires? Free base guys. Oh, no, they no, go, no. Like they literally go up cliffs that are completely vertical. Yeah. Uh, with with no support. It is freebasing, they call it, isn't it? When you can like free soloing. Free, free soloing. Yeah. No, freebasing is the one where they climb up on things. the walls and <laughs> jump over to other walls. Like yeah. that in itself is just incredible. I don't know how people put themselves through that. You must love the adrenaline rush. You have to if you yeah. want to like have no safety net. You are literally jumping off sky rises. Well, they say what? they say that it's like the ultimate way to feel alive like the fear of death is the ultimate <laughs> rush to keep no the, you want to stay alive I know it's mad do you know what makes me feel alive eating lovely food seeing uh-huh. my friends yeah. going out and having a good time that kind of stuff makes me feel alive not near death experiences with your two feet firmly on the ground <laughs> firmly yeah. on the ground yeah yeah. I don't like that feeling of having my throat or having my heart in my throat no thank you <laughs> no, no. how um, was your day it was good. My day was grand, in fact. Average. The weather was lovely it was again, glorious. Kev. I promised you good weather you and did. I did not disappoint. <laughs> uh, no, I was. I cycled in and again, loads of people down by the canal. Mm. Um, oh God, they were having a great time, Trish. Hotter than the, Dubai. Yeah, the bars were hopping. I was down by Grand Canal Dock as well, loads of people out and about. So yeah, everyone just enjoys 
this this glorious sunshine because we don't get it very often, do we? I love how it's just we're one day in and everybody's yeah. in shorts, including our Gav, who's coming <laughs> in right. in short shorts every day. Yeah. I'm like, all right, yeah. okay, man. Yeah, but it's so not? true. Get the legs out, get the tan going, that's you know? It, Soak it. up the sun while you can. Yeah. Oh, no, I have been enjoying it. I was driving in and my God, I was melting in the car and I looked down at the dash and it was like 90 degrees. And I was 19. 19, Kev. And I was like, all right, yes. It's not 19 now, though. No, no, no. Of course, it'd be cooler in the night time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't like today. hot nights. I can't handle hot nights. Can't I sleep with the window open. That's Do the best you? way, yeah. Well, you're on the ground floor yeah, in your apartment. Not, yeah, that's not safe. No, I'm <laughs> inviting people into my... Because it's one of those windows where you can, that you can open it up and it literally the whole window opens like, like basically there's, no there's a panel out of there's the wall no, gone yeah, exactly <laughs> so I'm not doing that okay no just be safe just be safe and how are you getting on with the cycling good yeah yeah, yeah really enjoying it actually the first couple of days not gonna lie were tough mm. and it took me about half an hour to get home now I'm averaging like 20 22 minutes you're getting faster yeah Very I'm even good. overtaking the other cyclists I thought I you were going to say cars I was about to say Kev do no, not, not do that. that no 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 no. okay no. other cyclists look at you yeah oh, gosh yeah yeah our yeah. very own who's who's a who's a famous cyclist Lance Armstrong oh, no we don't no, speak no, of him okay. um, anyway, we don't so, mention his name here dude, some other dude <laughs> yeah, well, yeah oh base jumping somebody is saying that's what you were thinking jumping. of Freebasing. Free yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I don't know. That's not what that is. But yeah. <laughs> no. No. Okay. You, you definitely got the jumping. wrong Wikipedia thing there. I definitely did. Yeah. No, it's free soloing as far as I know is what they call it on this documentary anyway where they go up the, they go up the mountain. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I got that very oh. wrong, didn't I? <laughs> did. I got that very wrong. Uh, <laughs> I've got a question for you. <laughs> Ask awake him. Um, have you ever been pickpocketed? Yes, I have. Really? What happened? (sighs) Trauma, trauma, trauma. Here in Dublin? Yes, it was here in Dublin. And you know what was really, really sad about the situation? I just got paid and my my rent was in my bag at the time. What do you mean? I just bought... In cash? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? You got paid in cash? No, I took it out at the cash point. So I had it in my bag to pay my rent. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, because I would would usually... Well, that was... That was ages ago. Okay. There, I wasn't transferring back and forth. Right, right, right. It was cash. It was, it was cash. cash. Yeah, exactly. But so you're I still talking a couple of hundred euro? It was about, it was about 500 quid. Oh. Yeah. Took it out, had it in my envelope, ready to pay. And I put, oh, maybe, maybe you will say it's my own fault, but I didn't think it would happen as swiftly as it did. I literally put my bag down on the floor as I was, I don't Where know, were I was you? fiddling with something. On the street? Yes. Oh, Trish. I know. I was young and naive mm-hmm. and stupid mm-hmm. and I looked back down and the bag was gone nowhere to be seen and I cried my eyes out because I just couldn't believe it no. I was like my uh, my iPod was in it at the time the rent was there keys everything gone possessions and I could I, there was nowhere to even look because there was people heads everywhere I just didn't know who to even shout at like how long was it gone any it guards just, just about or anything no guards no nothing so I just what had to do? just take that one on the chin I just I, I took it Kev I just because oh, no. I just didn't see the point of reporting it because I knew knew nothing would be done. Like, they weren't going to find that bag. Well, the guards have identified a new pickpocket gang operating here in the city centre. Uh, this is after officers noticed an increase in distraction thefts 
in the capital. Uh, it's a type of theft where one person usually gets someone's attention and another steals from them while they are distracted. Now, I've got a story for you. Um, pickpocketing can happen anywhere, but it occurs obviously most often in busy cities. So let us know if this has happened to you. Uh, let, get in touch with us. Uh, 0876797104. I'll tell you my story. Yeah, you have been as well, have you? Oh, gosh. Oh, I've got a bad one, Trish. Oh, I'm no. not going to lie. So it, this was about 10 years ago. The iPhones were just out and I'd just gotten one, right? Mm. Uh, so it was a top new gadget at the time. That was the same with my iPod. I just got it at the mm. time. This this was about probably about the same amount of time 10 years ago. Yeah, so oh. it was a glorious day, yeah. much like today. Yeah. And uh, I said to myself, I'll go and grab some lunch and uh, eat it on the boardwalk, okay? Mm -hmm. So just down from Bachelor's Walk, basically, you know, not far from O'Connell Street, Mm. loads of people out. Mm -hmm. Load, packed, tourists, just people milling around, Mm. okay? Anyway, I sat down, got the phone out, Uh all right? And Yeah. And... So the way it works is this, this, the benches that they have on the boardwalk there, uh, basically when you sit down, you're facing a wall, which is on the other side, it's a footpath. So, mm-hmm. uh, and the, you're on a little bit of a dip, they're up on a bit of a height. Mm. So it's very easy for someone to just reach down and to grab. reach down and grab you. Yeah. Which is exactly what happened to me. This dude, okay, got his arm and wrapped it around my neck. Like in a chokehold? In a chokehold. What? Yeah, I swear to God. While I was on my phone... That's assault. Yeah, well... And um, I was, I was in, in total shock. He... Um, he, he So he had me in this chokehold. Yeah. And he goes in my ear, listen, if you don't give me the phone, see that fellow over there? He's going to stab you with a needle. Ooh. That's what he said. Oh, my God. So I, li- I was just... And take it, take go, it, go, run. Go, go. So I literally just... I left the grip of the phone. He snatched it. Mm. And he, as you say, he was gone. It was a sea of people. But there was loads of other people sitting on these benches... I think they were mainly tourists and just looking at me and I was like anyone anyone want to help a dude out here sure they're probably scared as well and yeah. that's the thing if you if someone threatens you with a needle oh the minute I heard do you no, do? the minute I heard needle I was like okay there you go you can have my life take yeah it, take it. yeah so uh, that's my <gasps> pick I have another pickpocketing story but uh, this is according to a poll by the journal 57% of people say they haven't been pickpocketed 17% say they've been pickpocketed here in Dublin and another 18% say they've been pickpocketed in a county outside of Dublin. Yeah, and I, no- it did happen to me as well. A second did it? Time. Yeah, cool. Really? Yeah. Uh, the other time it happened, I was um, having lunch in town with my mum and dad mm. and uh, we were just meeting up. It was one of those cafes that had like um, a window kind of bar where you sat on high chairs. Yeah. You know? Kind of like the high stools. High stools. Yeah. And the, the countertop was facing a window. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we were kind of right beside the the front door of the cafe. And my mum put her, her bag down on the floor, but oh. it was literally right beside the front door. Bit of a mistake. Uh, but you think nothing of it at the time. Anyway, we were having our lunch or whatever, and then suddenly she sees in the corner of her eye some dude running out the door oh, with her bag. Geez. And she was like, that's my bag, that's my bag. 
And I was like, well, I'm not letting him, I'm not letting him get away with this. So I went after, I bolted out the door and started screaming down the street, stop that guy, stop that guy. He was going up ahead. I caught up to him. He dropped the bag. I caught up to him. He dropped the bag? He dropped the bag. I would have been terrified. And I said, I'm not letting this dude go. I kept going for him. After uh, he dropped yeah. the, ba- the bag, probably would have been robbed a second time because you dropped no, it to go chase my, this No, guy. my dad was was behind. Ah. He picked up the bag. <laughs> I kept going for oh, the dude, uh, and Did you co- co- I cornered him, oh. got him. Okay, I said, "What the f- are you doing?" Yeah, and uh, left him off. Yeah, yeah. Because fuck it. Now what can you do? Yeah. yeah, that's that's the situation you're in. Like if something like that does happen. You, your initial instinct is yes, get the guards involved, but you know no. they're not going to catch them. Also, I wasn't going to like hold him there <laughs> until, until the guards came. Yeah. Excuse me, officer, I've got an attempted <laughs> pickpocketer here. No. And you're also terrified of what they might have on them. You know, they could hurt you if they have a weapon. Well, and this that. dude, I, I felt like I could take him, oh. weapon or not. Especially after my phone was robbed. Yeah. I was out for vengeance, yeah. you know? I was you just like, I'm not, letting, I'm not letting this happen again. And so we got her bag back, everything. So they got nothing from it, so it was great. But I know it, ha- it does happen in town. Yeah. Has it happened to you? Let us know. 0876797104. It happened to, well, this is a friend of mine. She was very silly. Uh, she was just new to the country, which I was really, really embarrassed about oh, as well. Because no. I was like, you know, this is her first time yeah. in Dublin. You want to make I'd a good impression? A, a great impression. I'd Let's just have a good time, you know. And she was on O'Connell Street waiting for me to come and collect her. Okay. Um, and she had her bags, one in her arm. And of course, okay. she thought she was still in Sweden, in the life and she had the bag on the floor no crime in Sweden of course of course you know they're so happy Mm, the happiest country in the world (laughs) the suitcase was beside her and I don't know how or why because I'm like could you not have just like tackled them for the suitcase they took her suitcase and her bag and legged it well how many of them she didn't say how many of them I think the girl was so shaken and so shocked her passport everything was in her bag you're telling me she had just landed just landed in Dublin's main the country's main street O'Connell Street yeah they robbed her yeah. suitcase and her handbag. Suitcase and bag gone. Oh my I God. was never more mortified. mortified. I was like, I am so sorry oh that happened no. to you. She was like, I want to go home. Oh no. I want to go back. I was like, no. <laughs> you can't because you they have your passport. <sighs> Having to ring the Swedish embassy, carrying her there, trying oh, to have them sort that out. It was Honestly, terrible. That is terrible not the time impression of... we want to give for our country. Oh, I was oh like, why God. would you leave the bag? Because 10 years prior, as if I didn't do the same thing but I learned my lesson you know never put anything down because it will disappear no. but I didn't think they would be as brazen to take the suitcase that it was like a little pulley suitcase what they, they ran get off from a suitcase she had, a, she had a lot of designer stuff in it so I'm sure they they got a, a good bit of money out of that mm. it was yeah she was devastated it was you horrible know, you know, they're, they're start this, of her trip yeah okay not a, <laughs> not a great start mm. um, there are those guys who go around on the bikes as well robbing iPhones out of people's hands oh you I'm see actually, the videos yeah, I've never actually seen it happen. Um, and Here, to be in honest, the UK, most of the videos that I've seen is the UK. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, ha- I haven't come across any pickpocketing or, or mugging in the in the ten years since those. 
two incidents happened. So, yeah, I feel like things might be better in the city centre, but look... Is you it because we're being a, a lot more cautious yeah. because we've been through that experience? So now when I have my bag, I know not to, you know, leave it just on one shoulder, just hanging yeah. or carrying it on my arm, you know, make sure it's like strapped across me. Yeah. Um, just so if they do want to pull it, although I was in Limerick before. Oh, and my Limerick. second instance, yeah, of being uh, robbed was, yeah, I had the bag strapped across me and I was walking ahead. I was there to visit a friend and... Um, walking in front just as you do you know yeah. and uh, these two female one female one male came up on either side of me and the female just grabbed the bag when I say she pulled the bag Yanked it was it. so sore oh, there was no. like a little Whiplash. a little laceration on my my uh, neck because of how she, uh, the force just the sheer force of her pulling the bag off me and they just ran off ran oh. off they did look a little bit you know sketch yeah so I would assume that's their their full time job wow and yeah. I I didn't run after them I was just like you know what take it my, my life is worth more than whatever is in that bag yeah when it comes to phones though as well I'm, I'm definitely way more vigilant now of like not really walking around aimlessly staring into my phone when I'm walking in town yeah. you know just that's the mistake we make yeah being too casual with yeah. these things that are worth hundreds and sometimes over a thousand quid yeah. in our pockets and you're you're flicking it out you're holding it with one hand so easy to just yeah. snatch so yeah and using it as a distraction too you need to be aware of your, arre- surroundings. your surroundings agree just have a little look around see who's around you and if there are dodgy characters move out of that situation if you're on your phone you can't see what's happening yeah you know? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. so just be careful out there yeah you live and you learn you're listening to the Room 104 podcast FM 104 it's Room 104 with Trish and Kev right now we are joined by our resident film master film extraordinaire (laughs) Mr Rory Kybert how are you I'm very well. Thank you for those very flattering words. That are <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> welcome, Rory. Now, Rory, you've had a full two weeks now since we've spoken to you. Uh, you're usually in studio with us, but for reasons beyond our control, we're back to being virtual. Uh, but you've had two weeks now to mine the world of cinema <laughs> and tell us what on earth we should be watching this weekend. So uh, why don't you kick us off? Tell us what you are reviewing first. I think this one is called Ambulance, right? That is correct. Ambulance by, uh, it's Michael Bay's latest. So I don't know if you guys are aware of Michael Bay. Yeah, he's the Transformers guy. He's a Transformers guy. He's kind of responsible for these very sort of dunderheaded films that appeal to teenage boys. Yeah, and lots indeed, of explosions. Adults. Maybe some, um, explosions. maybe some boobage, maybe some cleavage. He's, I think he's pulled that back because yeah, he? it was very controversial, wasn't he? In a big row with, with uh, Megan, Megan Fox, Fox over right. this whole yeah, thing, so right. navel gazing yeah. kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And he was gazing at more than the navel. He was oogling. <laughs> <laughs> what a shock! He was oogling at her, and I think she was like pretty adolescent when he was doing it, so mm. it was a bit odd. Mm. But uh, yeah. He still has many of his uh, trademarks, though. He has this crazily busy editing. Oh, my God. Like, even if it's just two people talking in a room, yeah. you know, it's like the cameras are whooshing around, <laughs> spinning around them, you know? <laughs> really? Um, Lots of cuts like or what? To, oh, my God. So many cuts. So many weird close-ups. 
Uh, it's like being kind of going back in a time machine to the 90s to a more testosterone-fueled era of man, men being men. You yeah. Know? So I was all, uh, I was all ready to hate this. I was all ready to hate this. But I, Jesus, I must say, I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would. It actually kind of held me for the runtime. Okay, so too long. tell us, what's the story? Yeah, what's ambulance about? So the elements that would keep, I thought it would keep me sane were the fact that Jake Gyllenhaal's in it, and another actor I like called Yaha Abdul-Manteen. So basically, Yaha Abdul-Manteen uh, plays this guy who's fallen on hard times. His wife is uh, in need of kind of uh, life-saving surgery. So he goes to his brother, Jake Gyllenhaal. Now, he's uh, adopted into that family. Uh, their father was a very infamous uh, a bank robber, and Jake Gyllenhaal has followed in his footsteps, and he plays a kind of smart aleck uh, uh, guy who likes to commit these heists so he has a lot of money so that's why Yahul Abdul Mateen's character kind of asks him to give him some money for the surgery and <laughs> very uh, unrealistically mm. uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's like oh well we're about to do a heist in 10 minutes you join in with us <laughs> quick heist <laughs> like, what? just Easy so happen money. to be doing a heist today what, what, are they, yeah. what are they robbing they're robbing a bank for thirty-two million, mm-hmm. and the uh, the job, as you would expect, goes awry. And <sighs> damn it, getting away. <laughs> it always goes awry. I see a clean heist. I know. <laughs> so they hijack an ambulance, hence the title. Oh, okay. And, uh, it's carrying a severely wounded EMT. Uh, sorry, a severely wounded cop and an EMT worker, played by Isaac Gonzalez. And she's actually a very charismatic actress as well. And basically, uh, the thing about these bank robbers is, you know, I suppose Abdul, uh, Yaha Abdul-Manteen, he's, you know, he's doing a bad thing for the right reasons. So you kind of like them, even though they're kind of the bad guys. Okay, but you're supposed Um, to be on their side. Uh, in a way, but you're also kind of on the cop side, which is actually oh. oddly complex for a Michael Bay movie. It is. <laughs> and they're Who are the trying cops? to keep the cop alive. Uh, the cops are played by a variety of what seem to be wrestler-looking guys. Okay. <laughs> like Triple H. <laughs> uh, there's one guy who's... Uh, they have one gay cop to kind of t- a tokenistically gay cop just to show they're modern you know okay. he was that creepy uh, son in Wedding Crashers <laughs> you know creepy son yeah vaguely god yeah, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we haven't seen him in a while <laughs> yeah I haven't seen him in a while but anyway that's neither here nor there mm. so anyway it's fun it cracks along it's kind of like speed or something like that you know they're all being chased and they're trying to keep this cop alive Jake Gyllenhaal is having fun as a kind of bad yeah. guy with some of his lines are fall a bit flat. Like uh, he, um, at one point, she goes, "We're going to have to get him to a hospital, the cop that is, or else he's going to, or else he's going to die." And he says, "Yeah, well, I wish I didn't have herpes, but you kind of have to just roll with what you got." Oh, <laughs> that is genius! Oh, God. Genius! genius. This sounds like a '90s film made in 2022. That's precisely it. It's a, that's a perfect description of it. 
but it actually more or less works and it doesn't have ideas above its station the fact that it stays in the ambulance kind of constrains it nicely because mm-hmm. his problem is it just goes off too far and it's too maximalist but it actually stays contained to the kind of central problem when it actually kind of holds you for the most part um, there's you know some stuff with like the brotherly relationship that's supposed to be really emotional I, I didn't care I was just looking at my watch at that point. It's like, wrap this up, guys. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Come on. Let's not get any more notions. Just, you know, exactly. know what you are. And then when I, exactly. And then when I when it ended, it disappeared like smoke from my mind. I was like, <laughs> oh. trying to prepare for this. It's like, what was the film? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it, it, but it passes the time enjoyably enough. Okay, any, so an action kind of thriller that's not really that exciting <laughs> with no twists or turns no yeah. twists or turns well, it's it's got a few twists it's actually it, it it doesn't it's actually a lot better than you might think but it's also dumb as a bunch of rocks okay, <laughs> okay. so what are you giving oh. ambulance out of five then I would give it three, just because it's. I wasn't expecting it to be as as engaging as it was. Well, three isn't uh, bad, Rory. No, three is all right. No. Yeah, so I was pleasantly surprised by it. Okay, yeah. you like that? All that right. Sounds like something you'd throw on, you know, over oh, any day. Or, yeah, yeah. Throw it on in the background. So you're not going to the cinema to see it. You're just throwing it on in the background. Yeah, I'm, I'm, this is. Def- oh. It sounds like one you can wait until it's on the streamers. No. Okay. That's right. Well, Michael Bay himself last night went to the premiere in England. And this gives you an example of how arrogant he is. The film had already started and he insisted that they stop the film and rewind it back to the start so he could watch the film with everyone. Oh, that alone would make me not want to go see it. I'm striking because of that. Oh, Bay. We'll never Good learn. Film, but don't see it because of the director's behavior. <laughs> yeah. Precisely. All right. So what have you got next for us then? Next up, we have X by the kind of interesting director, Ty West. I'm kind of intrigued by this guy. He's He makes kind of fun, diverting films that are sort of bit fresh. It kind of, they book uh, cliches. They kind of go against horror cliches. Uh-huh. He generally makes horror slasher films. He made a film once called The Sacrament, which was about like a, a, a documentary crew infiltrating a cult, which was very interesting. And they were kind of like a vice film crew film crew excuse me and uh, what well, he always has good ideas that are kind of interesting but then he always kind of blows it in the third act okay but he's worth checking out nonetheless I think one day he will make a great film but he just kind of botches them so he what's the what's the premise behind this one then so this is a really good premise and that's the thing he has really good premises mm-hmm. that he kind of doesn't fully deliver on it's basically like a ragtag group of pornographers in 1979 mm. um, were making pornos and they go to uh, a farm and they basically rent um, this kind of spacious cabin on this creepy farmer's farm and uh, they say they just want to stay there for a while but really uh, they're making uh, you porn. Know, these porn movies um, and meanwhile the farmer is uh like real into evangelical Christianity and he has like a preacher at all times on the television and we don't see his wife but we hear a tale of his wife Mm. and his wife is definitely the spooky element of the story and we get kind of a we see her watching from the window watching them the pornographers um, and that's quite creepy you get the sense of like ooh this is a bit spooky but then it's also 
Yeah, but then it's also quite funny, the film. Uh, the, the characters are really good. Uh, Mia Gotts plays uh, the porn star, the main porn star, and her. She's the boyfriend of the producer. Also, Brittany Snow plays another uh, porn star. And Kid Cuddy is in it as well. Oh, no way. Yeah. He's moved he's over really into the actually. acting side of things. Was How he in some sort of acting film or action film already? Yeah. I- that's right. I think he's been in a few things recently. I can't mm. remember exactly what he was in, but you're right. He has been in other stuff. And he plays the very well-endowed porn <laughs> star. And Aha. also, yet again, some more uh, full frontal male nudity. Well, as we know, stop. it's the year of the dawn. You've mentioned it many times. <laughs> <laughs> I just caught up with Pam and Tommy and my God, talk about like the dawn. His dong is its own character. In that. Talk about a talking dong. <laughs> no. So, I, I'm you gonna- man, I'm getting hot in studio here genie mac <laughs> you know on these hot days we get a bit know, uh, you know that's red it. Blood. yeah um so, i really like the idea behind this. this sounds great this sounds like exactly the kind of film i idea. would definitely be up for and enjoy i think it's worth seeing nonetheless even though it doesn't fully deliver um it's great crack in the first hour um and it is good fun as well when the the killing start start up uh, some of the killings are very gory and they're very you know um, physical and there's just, just a lot of gore but um, and also it kind of goes against the cliches uh, in films like in the slasher films of the 70s like Halloween and those sort of films and even yeah. Scream in a more playful way always the people who have sex get killed mm-hmm. and the virtual girl remains and she is you know allowed to live so it really books that trend because the more I prudish like characters yeah. yeah the more prudish characters get killed off first um and actually, the director of the film is—he has—he has—he's like, why can't we make a porn film that's also art? You know, <laughs> so he has these kind of pretentious character who thinks he can, <laughs> you know, make art out of all this rutting. But anyway, they're rutting away, and that's quite <laughs> enjoyable. Uh, but but then, it does just um, turn into a big slasher, does it? In the end, it does. Okay. Uh, the, the the far right Christians get wind of all this rutting. And then it makes the fatal error of showing too much of the creepy character woman. Um, I think less is more in horror movies. And yeah. then ultimately, when you see her in the cold light of day, she just doesn't really look that scary. She looks, she wouldn't look out of place in a kind of, you know, spook house in a fun fair, or she kind of looks like Halloween decorations or something. Uh-huh. She's got like too much prosthetics and too wiggy, you know. So, and then it's just too comical ultimately to be okay. scary. And even though it's great fun and it's got a great atmosphere and it's got some real kind of sludgy gore, scuzzy kind of vibes, a throwback to the 70s, it's not ultimately scary really at all. So I think just on that score, it doesn't succeed in being, you know, it's a horror movie on, it should be scary. So that's why ultimately I would just give it three stars. But if I was, if I was, just rating the first hour I could give it four stars and I think if you're interested in any of uh, these ideas it's worth seeing Okay, mm. so two mm. flicks so far that you're given the solid mediocre three stars tell us about the final film that you saw this week so the final film I saw this week is called The Worst Person in the World directed by Joachim Trier who is a Norwegian filmmaker um, it's actually also nominated for two Oscars uh, next Sunday, I think it's the ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So it's nominated for Best International Feature and it's also nominated for um, Best Screenplay. So foreign language films are getting more mingled in with, into all the categories now, which I suppose can only be a good thing, can't it? Yeah. Um, so it's essentially a rom-com told in 12 chapters. Um, but to say it's a rom-com might be to sell it short because it's so much more, really. It's... Um, it certainly starts that way, but then it goes off in other directions. It's by turns playful, relatable, heartbreaking, hallucinogenic at times. It's really very random, the film, and yet it has a kind of structure that keeps you keeps it coherent. Uh, it's really has it has like the rhythms of real life. It has the kind of randomness of real life. The story follows uh, uh, this girl called Julie in her. 20s leading up to her, uh, to, to her 30th birthday. She's played by Renata Reisnev, uh, who looks very like Dakota Johnson. I actually thought it was her when I saw the poster. Mm. Um, so it's kind of a coming-of-age story, and she's basically a talented person who can't really commit to any one course of action. She's dabble, She's a dabbler. She just keeps dabbling in everything. She thinks she's going to do a medical degree, then she changes psychology, then she thinks no, photography is her bag. So she's flitting around from hither to titter and the same goes for her relationships she is uh, initially with this punky guy and then she falls for this uh, cartoonist a graphic novel guy who's accomplished but a bit controversial in in our current uh, in our current zeitgeist because he has these very sexualized cartoons about <laughs> this cat who likes uh, who's obsessed with sex uh, so she kind of falls for him and there's a 14 year gap between them she, She's 30 and he's uh, 44. Um, and she's enjoying being with him initially, but then she doesn't like that she's just defined by being someone's girlfriend. So then she starts kind of flirting with the idea of cheating. She gate crashes this party and she kind of gets intrigued by this barista guy who's more carefree and more fun-loving like her and less serious about his work. Uh, so she kind of breaks up with uh, the original boyfriend um, and all it's just it's and then, she, then we have her family life as well. Her father is very distant and won't really talk to her. But there's a real lightness of touch to this, and it's all very humorous. And there's one scene where they take mushrooms, and it's a brilliant uh, hallucinogenic scene uh, where she kind of faces her demons and <laughs> involving period blood. I won't go into too much detail. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> but it touches on loads of current uh, day issues, environmentalism, Me Too, political correctness. But it does it with a lightness of touch. It never gets too political or ideological. It just feels very true to life. And... At one point, uh, Axel, the boyfriend who's a cartoonist, he gets attacked on a radio program and uh, these these feminist women are attacking him for his uh, cartoons and he pushes back really hard. If it was an American movie, that would be him becoming a bad character, you know, and he does go too far on the show. But in this movie, it's it's because of a, as he's got sad, he finds because he's got sad news that he's doing that. So it's quite a humane film as well. You know, it's, it understand, and it, it, at one part it gets quite heartbreaking. It, it's really wrong footsie of this film. So I just totally fell in love with this. I was so like taken with it. It's so charming. It's got substance. It's really funny. Uh, Rory, is it, in, you know, is it in, 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 in English or is it? It's in Norwegian. Uh, uh, okay. So subtitles. Yeah, it's subtitled. Exactly. Um, okay. I think it's the first Norwegian film I've ever seen, unless I'm mistaken. 
Even the, the language is very really nice. What about too. that trolls one? The one about the troll hunter? No, was that not Norwegian? Uh, oh, I've never seen that. Is that about uh, uh, hunting people on the internet? Is it? <laughs> no, the uh, actual <laughs> fantasy, like you know, mythical trolls. That was an origin. Oh man, that's great. Yeah. Yes, I remember that now. I never saw that. I must I must okay. check that out. Okay, do check that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this so film it's a Norwegian is, anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was an interesting digression there. Sorry. Um, yeah. I just I'm just I was just naming one Norwegian film that I may have possibly seen. I don't even know if it was definitely Norwegian. Now I have to look it up. All right. Oh gosh. Carry on, Rory. We got it. Let's just review this troll film instead. <laughs> <laughs> we'll watch that. <laughs> there we go. Hold on. Well, yeah. Hold on. It, uh, director. It was It was a Norwegian film. Yes. Troll Hunter back in uh, 2011. Lovely. So there you go. We'll yeah. review that for next week, Rory. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this, is this film anything like Troll Hunter? <laughs> <laughs> it's like it in that it's it's uh norwegian okay <laughs> um but yeah it's totally relatable maybe i don't know how relatable it is compared to the troll hunter but it's about like issues we all go through like oh am i with the right person you know mm. i like this person but am i settling for less or maybe there's excitement out there you know it's it, it taps into everyone's kind of you know which they seem like kind of banal considerations but they are things that change your life and kind of you know fix your life on a certain path so it is it's quite a it's got a lot of substances film i feel like um, it sounds like a norwegian normal people or something by the way you're explaining it anyway that's very good that's a very yeah. good <laughs> yeah uh, yeah wait a minute there. so it's more like normal people than troll hunter nobody knows what trolls is <laughs> <laughs> It's like a cross between normal people and normal trolls. I would say the crucial difference between this and normal people is the people have a sense of humour in this world. Ah, oh, good. Right. Yeah, they're, I've but never they're... seen a more dour couple than the I could not people. agree more. Being in love is so hard. Oh, it's hard when you're young. It is not. It's a bit of crack, but anyway. In hindsight, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. What's the rating on this one, Rory? I would have to give it the big five, and I'd actually oh. like to see it win best um, international film as they're now called. Mm, high praise, uh, very also, high. I, w- I wouldn't mind if the hand of God won as well, but Sorrentino, the Italian director, has won before, so I'd be very happy to see this win. And a brilliant central performance by the lead actress in this, just genius. Okay, so definitely got to check this out. What remind us the the name you of this one? Um, first tro- Troll Hunter and then this um, what's, what, sorry what was the question the, the, remind us of the name what's this one called The Worst Person in the World okay. a name I can't actually really figure out why it's called that but uh, but it's I'm a five just... stars nonetheless <laughs> despite the incomprehensible name five <laughs> yeah. stars might have a sexy translation in Norwegian you know do. must yeah. do yeah yeah, yeah. well uh, thanks so much Makes a great double bill with a uh, troll hunter. I mean, normal people. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all three triple bill. Yeah. Uh, all right, Rory. Well, listen. Thanks as ever for coming on. I'll definitely be checking out. Uh, what I check? I think I'll look at X. Yeah, X sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all Rory. right. Until next week. Thank you very much. Bye, Rory. My pleasure, guys. All right. Have take care. Bye. This is Room 104. FM 104.
It is Room 104 and it's Trish and Kevin the hot seat. Hey. Hi, it's not so hot in here though. We've got the air con on to its <laughs> lowest setting and Trish is still saying, oh, it's so hot in here. I'm still roasting. Is there something wrong with me? I have an internal furnace that I can't put out. <laughs> is that what you're calling it? An yes. internal an furnace. An internal furnace. Wow. It actually you, sounds like an album, doesn't you're it? You're a songstress of some <laughs> description. Thanks, When's Kevin. the album coming out? Oh, that's the name of the album. Yeah. Yeah, it could be the lead track. Wow. Internal Furnace. Oh, are you, you going to have like a a, um, a new persona, like Sasha Fierce, like Beyonce? Oh, had. like Beyonce. Yeah. What would I call her though? Internal yeah. Furnace. No. <laughs> I could call her Inf- Trisha Fierce. Nah, no, 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 it's no, too no, much no. of a rip-off no, of Queen Bee. Work on that, yeah. Okay, I'll leave you. <laughs> we'll work on that. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Have a couple of nights to think about that one. Okay. Well, you might want to think about this as well, right? Because we've got a brand new dilemma. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of an issue. It's a family issue. Oh, the I family issues. It's, it's always tough when it comes to the family issues, isn't yeah, it? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's awkward and tricky. Because you don't want to rock the boat. You don't, you know, it's your partner. What do you do? What do you say? Well, well I'll it's read all, you that. already a rocky boat, though, you know? Do you just get off? <laughs> yeah, just start swimming. <laughs> I'll happily drown. I can't <laughs> no, swim, no. but I, I want to. Can't stand this. this boat. Yeah. Well, I'll read it out to you. Okay. Shall I? Do, do. Hi, Trish and Kev. I've been with my partner for less than a year and I'm at breaking point. My issue isn't with her, it's with her family. I would love if you could give me some advice on what I should do. Her family are very over the top and their sense of humour is questionable at best. Wow. Mm. The first time I met her mother, she barged in the front door and shouted, the state of him. I laughed it off, but I've slowly come to realise her whole family is the same. They're constantly mocking or jeering each other and now they're doing it to me. My girlfriend seems to think this is hilarious. She's extremely close to them and if we're not over at their house then they're in ours her mother comes over whenever she pleases without any warning when she's here all she does is make her obnoxious jokes and rips the piss out of me I'm also very close to my family but they're the complete opposite and would never show up unexpected not to mention they treat her with respect I'm fed up of having to call over to their gaff she gets upset if I don't want to go with her I love her but I hate her fam is this a deal breaker and hon what do you think? Well, it's not a great sign if they're only going out a short while. Less than a year, is it? Less than a year, he said. So I'd, I'd probably assume maybe 10 months, 11 months. Yeah, enough Just to know under. that like these in-laws, let's call them for now, uh, are a pain in the hole, basically. Yeah. And that you'll never probably get on with them or get on board with them or you know, be palsy with them. It can be a struggle. But do you have to be pally with your in-laws? Like, you don't. At you don't the end have of the day. Be. Ideally, yeah. they'd be people that you actually care about or, you know... You just can be casually cordial. cordial yeah. I know, but... But the fact that she's going over there... Yeah, they must live nearby or something. Yeah, and the man popping over, I think that's where oh, I would draw the line. You oh, need no, no. to set some boundaries. Yeah. Like, this is his house as much as it is her house so mm. I don't understand why you know the door is always open <laughs> you yeah, know but if they are if they're like in the same estate or just a few doors down then there's no escape and yeah as you say you don't like every time your her mother 
calls, you don't. It's going to be obvious if you go. Oh, I have something on. I just remembered. I have to go every time she shows up. Oh, the bowling is on. And oh, I just remembered. I have to leave. But that would be a good, good hint to just stop coming. Mums <laughs> uh, like that don't take hints. They're, they're like, no, right. I'll see you now. I'll be plonking myself in your house. Yeah. I think you need to have a word with a girlfriend. You mm-hmm. need to have a sit-down chat. Now, obviously, she's a different person. She must be a different person when she's around her family than she is with him because if you can't stand the fact that her family is, you know, their sense of humour, you don't like the way they, they jeer each other and she's seeing this happen to you and she's having a little laugh along with them, that would really make me annoyed. I can see how that would drive you... Up the wall, you know. Yeah, well, if you but if you do say it to her, people can be very sensitive about their family, you know, and True. they don't. Nobody likes to hear your family is a pain in the ass, and <laughs> I hate spending time around them. I don't like, like them. Yeah, <laughs> uh, can I have you, then, but not your family? Yeah, exactly. Please. But people, it can be hard to kind of, um, you know, what to to reconcile that. Like, I like you. But everyone you come from, you know, your tribe, I detest. Yeah. Mm. That's going to that's gonna be like, well, you know. Well, if you can't have them, yeah. you can't have me. Exactly. <laughs> you know, people, aren't, people are sensitive when it comes to their family. We all think we haven't, you know. Of course. Like, decent. I'm allowed to slag my family off. I can say whatever I want about them, but you do not join in. Mm. That did happen to me before with a friend of mine. Oh. Why? So, what happened? <laughs> it was one of, my, one of my really good friends, but her brother is annoying, right? Let's face it. He right. is. And flat she out would be annoy- flat an annoying. out annoying. In what and way? She, <laughs> he's just one of these people that just says the wrong things oh, and just likes no. To filter, get a reaction out of brash. you, a D- little bit brash, and oh. we we all grew up together. But she would often vent to me about her brother. I mean, like I can't stand him, and he was the favorite in the family, and you know, oh. she 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 really couldn't get along with him. Mm-hmm. And the one day, Kev, I decided I was like, yeah, he's such an asshole. Well, I never. What? She stopped me dead in my tracks and was like, don't you ever talk about my brother like that. Oh. Oh, my God. What? Yes. So uh, that moment was a teaching moment, was a learning moment. <laughs> <laughs> teaching and learning. And um, I, I've never made that mistake again. And it is so true. Once You can say whatever you want about your own family, but the minute someone else says it, even if it's a close friend and they're agreeing with you... Yeah, you've got to tread lightly. Very, yeah. very lightly. Yeah. Don't cross those lines. No, I know someone who was going out with a girl, having a... They were getting on like a house on fire but there was a lot of family stuff a lot of time spending uh, spending spare time and holidays and weekends and long weekends all with her family I don't like that and it was a very intense experience and it's not like he didn't get on with them it's just it was a lot all the time and when you're not used to Maybe spend that much time with your family. You're, you're used to doing your own thing, and um, it can be overwhelming. It can be, you can. It can be draining because it's hard to say no. Because then the because then the in the family, they're like, well, where where is he? And oh, how come we, we're not seeing him a lot? And yeah. you know, so. It's a tricky one, i got to say. Yeah, But like, even I've been on family holidays with my family and even that can be intense. I can't it imagine can. somebody else being oh, in that situation, can. you know, for two to three weeks <laughs> hanging out with my family. And they're lovely and mm. they're great people, of course. You know, they're my family. But at the same time, 
I can understand you don't want to be spending a lot of time with someone else's family you know Absolutely. can they not split it up can he not spend some time in his own house you know his own family home and she go off to her but that's fam. my point you can't like you can't just say you got to leave now because my mom is coming over or mm. or you don't want to feel that pressure to have to leave your space and uh, just because someone is coming over to the gaff like it's it's annoying I think there needs to be rules here and mm. I know it's such a Debbie Downer to say rules but I think you need to put rules down you need to have a, a conversation with her and say look you know I like to come home from work and just relax and watch a little bit of telly and I don't think coming home every single day at 5pm or whatever it is and your mom sitting on the couch with her cup of tea mm. making her jokes no, no. and having her laugh you know can we have some time together actually that's what you should do make it out like you want to spend loads of time with her so just you know put it back on her do you not want us to spend time together to, by ourselves mm, okay. you know on our own right like, deflect I feel like, like throw it back on <laughs> throw it back on the partner yeah like do you not think we need our alone yeah. time we're, we're spending a lot of time with, with your, your mom <laughs> <laughs> and your annoying brothers yeah. and all those other freaks like what you should do is book some holidays for yourself as well and go off and do stuff mm. together maybe this is a sign as well maybe she doesn't want to spend a lot of time with you on her own because why would you yeah. be having your mom over all the time and not wanting to be with your partner you know because maybe they, she just lives nearby and mm. is one of those imposing Irish mammies I don't know my mother wouldn't even call over that much and she lives close by as well mm. and if you're going to call over send a text let the person know you know give them a heads up mm. even if it is your daughter or your son or whoever yeah um, let us know what you think 87 6797 do you think he should end it with this poor girl yeah because the in-laws are just unbearable yeah driving him up the wall or do you think it's fixable you think maybe all they need to do is sit down and have a conversation that's always my solution isn't it have a conversation that is because such a cop out we don't have a lot of them <laughs> ah we have enough I don't think so Kev actions, I don't think so it's actions speak louder than words I think you so gotta take yourself out of the situation at all times I know I was saying it's hard to um, you know just displace yourself from your own house if the mother's calling over but it's nearly worth it you and just keep making excuses time. for not showing up to the family <laughs> gatherings and you know just constantly have stuff on but if he lives with her won't she pick up on the fact that he is dodging every single family event and making excuses when her, her mum calls over well you know, then it, be that very might, obvious. it might make it clear that something isn't right instead mm. of having the big sit down and go you know let it let her see that there's something wrong here Oh, and she broaches the subject yeah. then. And like, what, yeah. What's going on here? Exactly. Imagine if she never said anything at all and just continues. <laughs> Actually, you just be the happy. streets. <laughs> yeah, every night. Just like never able to go home. And yeah. It's oh, not ideal. No, it's not. We need some advice for this listener. 087-6797-104. Let us know what you think. This is Room 104. FM 104. You're listening to the Room 104 Podcast. FM 104.
Starlight from Dave. He was only on in the three arena oh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, good yeah. old Dave. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. You know, it's funny he doesn't go for like a Dave Whizzle or, you know, some, some like a more rappery name. Yeah. Just one with yeah, just Dave. I know. The just, just Dave, Dave thing always puzzled me. I'm not <laughs> yeah. going to lie. I kind of yeah. like it. Do you? Yeah. I, yeah, I, I like, always thought like to have a rapper name, it has to have pop a bit, but... Yeah, Dave. Okay. Well, See, it's working for him. And that's what I was about to say. He's still at the top of the chart. So whether he's Dave Bajizzle-Mazizzle or he's just Dave, <laughs> yeah. it's working for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all about the well, music. He, I wonder, will he have one of those Kanye moments where he just goes to de, you know? Or da. <laughs> or da. Ave. Ave? it's artistic. Oh my God. You know, just Ave drop the D. Ave good. <laughs> yeah. Ave. Damn it, he should have gone with eight to begin with. <laughs> I don't know. I think, no, in 10 years' time, I'm telling you, we'll be like, and that was the artist formerly known as Dave. It's yeah. Dave. <laughs> oh my God, like Prince. Yeah, um, exactly. Anywho, that's his new track. We are back, and the dilemma is back as well. Uh-huh. I'll give you another read, shall I? Yeah, yeah, go on, Let's go on, tell it. us. Hi Trish and Kev, I've been with my partner for less than a year and I'm at breaking point. My issue isn't with her, it's with her family. I would love if you could give me some advice on what I should do. Her family are very over the top with, and their sense of humour is questionable at best. The first time I met her mother, she barged in the front door and shouted, the straight of him. I laughed it off, but I've slowly come to realise her whole family is the same. They're constantly mocking or jeering each other and now they're doing it to me. My girlfriend, my girlfriend seems to think this is hilarious. Well, you know, it's her family. She, she hilarious. Hilarious. Oh, she is extremely close to them. And if we are not over at their house, then they're in ours. Her mother comes over whenever she pleases without any warning. Oh. Yeah. Mm. That's tough. When she's here, all she does is make her obnoxious jokes and rips the piss out of me. I'm also very close to my family, but mine are the complete opposite and would never show up unexpected, not to mention they treat her with respect. I'm fed up of having to call over to their gaff. She gets upset if I don't want to go with her. I love her, but I hate her family. Is this a deal breaker? Anon. It could, she could, it, you know, the mammy, you know, that she's got. It should, could be just one, one of those kind of you know, kind of gruff but funny mams that you just need to get to know and then actually, you know, you get on all right with yeah. her. She might be a bit of crack. You know when they come across a bit OTT to begin with? It's endearing know. almost. They're just trying to welcome you in. Well, well that's what Tia I said anyway. I don't know anyway. if it's endearing at the beginning. <laughs> but, you, have you know, used to once you, you have to get used to it. Yeah. You have to be get used to getting the rip, the piss ripped out of you and then maybe you can give it back a bit and, you know... Well, you're to something here, Kev. Yeah, actually. Because that's the that's the reaction we're getting on oh, the text okay. line. Okay, go on. Yeah, Tia says what you need to do is laugh back with the family. Mm. I don't think this girl has done anything wrong. My family are like this. We laugh a lot. We don't take anything too seriously. Toughen up, man. Then take the them taking the piss means they like you. It's their way of showing you they welcome you into the family. Well, now she she did barge in the first time she met him and said, "Stay to you." Yeah, I don't know if that's a really good welcome. Maybe just, you need to ease people into your sense of humor, it, like let them warm up. Yeah, it reminds me of a time I was um, getting to know a significant other's family, uh-huh. and uh, her dad. I walked in and. Uh, new found never met any of them before. New house, you know, it's can be a bit nerve wracking. Yeah, of course. And the first thing he goes, he goes, "Oh, Kevin, uh, how's it going? Go on, sit down there and take the weight off the floor." 
<laughs> That's good. I like that. And I went bright red. And I was like, ah. Is he insinuating that you're heavy? Yeah. A little bit hefty. A little bit. Take the weight off. Go and sit yourself down. Take the weight off the floor. Is he insinuating you're heavy? Yeah, oh, Trish. Oh, that is so good. I know, I'd never heard it before. And I was like, <laughs> it took a while to process and it was a giant. Everyone else started laughing. And I was oh my God. Oh, Kevin, that is... So, but yes. then you just have to kind of get on board with that. And um, you can't sit there and cry. No. <laughs> you know, you have Jesus, to take no. it on the chin. You and do. just laugh along. What did you do? I sat down and I just... <laughs> you took the weight off the, the floor. floor. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it must have been a new floor oh, or something. <laughs> but yeah, oh. it's that kind of humour that you're like, it's unexpected. Mm. It's a bit cutting, a bit sharp. Mm. And it can kind of, you know... It can kind of hurt. It can kind of hurt. Yeah. But then you can see that, that they're just trying to bring you in to their kind of banter level. Mm. And... Um, yeah, you have to you have to be up for it, like. And if you're not, then uh, yeah, I don't know. Is it enough to kind of put an end to the relationship? Potentially, potentially. I think if you're only a year in, but how did that end? Actually, how did that your relationship? Yeah, it didn't no, end didn't because it. you didn't like the family. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, fizzle out. But I think in a situation like that, you do have to just laugh along. You have to kind of, you know, it's your first impression. First impressions matter. You don't want to come across as the person that can't take a joke. That's you know? right. You don't want to seem like you're a little bit of a prude, a prude either. You know, or, just yeah. laugh exactly. along. But if it's getting to the hurtful stage, like and over and over again, it's a repetitive, um, you know, repetitive jabs. I don't know if I would be as willing to kind of just take it every time. I yeah. think you have to get to a point where you start dishing it back. I mean, that's where you need to come in. If she says something to you, like, you know, take the weight off the floor. Yeah, I see you've eaten a few more pies there yourself. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah pass the crisps. Like, <laughs> I'm yeah. only joking, uh-huh, you know. Try it back. I know, but then there's a fine line where, because, uh, uh, you know, a joke to them uh, is all ha-ha, but then if you say something that's a little bit cutting... The atmosphere can change on a on the edge of a knife. I think they're probably waiting for him to say something funny back. They're probably like, "This I know, guy is no think crack." Of quick jibes, you know. Write like, some down before you call over the next work time. On the material. Yeah, write uh, them down in your hand and look down every time they say something and be like, "Ah, ah, ah got yeah, one got for you." Yeah, yeah, this will do. Um, Jay says, "Get rid of her. Not worth putting up with people you hate for the rest of your life." Well, this is a true fact. Mm. I mean, if you. I potentially going to be with this person for a long, long time. Uh, you don't want to be around her extended family and that being a massive chore and a pain the whole every time. Mm. You know, life's a, it is a bit short for for that. And have you ever been around people that you feel like just completely just suck the energy out of you? Like yes. you walk into the room and you, you're grand, you're fine. And the minute you leave, you feel like, oh, my gosh, I need to go home. I need to take a nap. I need to re-energize myself. Uh-huh. I am no longer the same person I was yeah. when before I entered yeah. that room. It could be a situation like this. He could be more of an introvert and he's around all these extroverts that are really over the top. And it's just it's just a clash of personalities. You know, he's just not like them. So I don't necessarily... he's the problem, personality No, it's just different personalities. I I would say it's not... What I'm trying to say is I don't Mm. think the family are 
necessarily trying to hurt him or that they're, you know, trying to offend him in any way. I think I think this is just how they are. That's just their sense of humour. And he obviously and his family are completely different. He'd said it himself. They're complete opposites. So I'd say they're more on the quieter side. Yeah. And they'd probably, you know, his mum would probably call over every once in a while, but she'd sit and she'd be quiet and have a, you know, a gentle, nice conversation. <laughs> yeah. Whereas her family are probably like, yeah! They're jumping off the buddy. walls. Yeah, 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 I mean? yeah, yeah. So I think that's the issue. It's the clash of opposite personalities. But I don't see any reason why it couldn't work because it's... It's still very early days, in my opinion. Like, a year isn't too no, bad. Like, not, oh, no. you know, it's not. just under a year. It's not. It's still early. And if you really, really like her and she's a nice person, then how bad can her family really be? Like, oh, she, they're there all she's the time. No, from the them, though. It might, be eno- it, might, it might be enough to call it a day. Yeah. Chris says, uh, knew a lad who went working nights to avoid having to spend time with his girlfriend's family. Imagine. If you have to go through those drastic measures... (laughs) Just to get away from your in-laws. Yeah, I don't know. I think there is something very wrong with the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Gosh. Hashtag blessed over here, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, I I think what... Yeah. I I genuinely know someone who, who... whose relationship ended because of this mm. because the, the family thing was just getting too intense they wanted to go on ho- they were going on trips and holidays and spending almost every weekend uh. Uh, together with her folks it was always with her folks and and again they'd get kind of slightly offended if uh, he wasn't up for it or wasn't mm. going to her on their little trips and little things like that. Well, know? in that case, it's not going to work. If if you are so different, like complete opposites, where you can't find a middle ground, there's no way you can work around it. There's no way you can say, yeah. all right, they're a little bit hyper for me, so you yeah. know, tell them only come over on every second Sunday, <laughs> you know, of the month or something. If you if you feel like you can't say that, and it is, or if they get super driving, offended, and yeah, can't accept that. Then uh, it's not for you. No, then it's not, not going to work. You. It's just not. But if she's willing to compromise and you're willing to have a little chat about it and just say, look, you know, I just want my evenings. Not every evening. I don't expect her to throw her mom out if she's already there. But I do expect, you know, I need to have my, my space, my house for at least four nights a week, please. You know, yeah. you go to work. It's hard enough. You don't want to come home and having to deal with mommy and the brothers and the father <laughs> and everybody bouncing off your walls. Yeah. yeah, true, true. There we go. There we go. Another one solved. Take the box. <laughs> We've done it again. <laughs> Thanks for all your help as well. Um, now we'll have another dilemma next week. You're listening to the Room 104 Podcast. FM 104. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. It's Room 104 with Kev and Trish right now. We're joined by Natalie Welsh, a former drug mule who survived a gang war in a South American prison. Natalie, welcome to the show. Hi, Kev. Thank you for having me. Welcome, Natalie. Welcome, Trish. Welcome. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Natalie, if, if you wouldn't mind, could you maybe... Oh. Okay. Sorry. No problem. Natalie, if you wouldn't mind, could you maybe take us back to the beginning? Tell us a little bit about your childhood. What was that like growing up? I know you spent some time in a in a children's home. So could you maybe just talk us through what growing up was like for you? Yeah, I had um it was a it was a difficult childhood. Um and my my mum and dad were separated and my mum um remarried and I had a, a frustrating and, and difficult um relationship with my stepdad that was quite abusive. Um so this like led to me um you know rebelling really I suppose and um you know lots of kind of um self-dight feelings and um you know you're you're still you're like still quite a, a sponge at that age and um you know it was it was quite traumatic so I ended up because of this I ended up going into um a children's home um so I I went from like two completely different environments really I went from one really strict controlled abusive environment into absolute mayhem you know I lived in a children's home there was 30 other, you know, 30 other dysfunctional kids living there as well. Um, there was no control over us. There were no rules over us. Um, um, we just absolutely kind of, you know, ran amok really in, in, in this environment as, you know, as, as, you, as you would, you know, under those circumstances. Mm. Was it a, was it a well-controlled environment? Were there enough, social workers around like you know I um well I mean this is the thing that it wasn't well controlled at all and um 
some of the social workers were um, drug addicts. There were social workers there that um, later on went and sold their stories to the newspapers. They lost their job, but they went and sold their stories to the newspapers, how they were functioning heroin addicts working in this children's home environment. Um, a lot of abuse went on. Um, the the father of my daughter was my social worker in the children's home. Um, and it all got very hushed, hushed. And I was, um, you know, given some money by the council not to take them to court. You know, it was, it was a lot of abuse went on within, you know, and there was a lot of damaged people there, you know, myself included, that are being put there to be protected from, you know, this kind of abuse for it to just actually kind of carry on within the system. Mm. Growing up seeing that then, Natalie, that yeah. must have made you very confused. Um, and obviously you didn't have a lot of positive adults around you to kind of show you the way and set good examples. So you were in turn then were just a victim of your circumstance, really. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I have to at the same point, I have to own up and take responsibility for the decisions that I've made. Um but I had no guidance, you know, I had no good examples. I had no guidance. Um, I didn't understand, you know, consequences to actions, you know, because in the in the children's home, you know, there were no punishments for our unruly behavior. You know, I came from a home where I, I had very extreme punishments for nothing really for the smallest of things to then go into an environment where you know you go out shoplifting one day and get caught shoplifting and you get taken ice skating the next day by the children's home so I really didn't have this this concept of or this understanding that there were kind of consequences to to negative actions you know and um I had no had a lot of self-doubt feelings you know feeling the you know the lack of love from you know parents and um and, and I ended up turning to drugs to kind of seek some kind of refuge I think and um and and got comfort from that as well um which then ultimately mm. led to drug addiction mm. so you were you were a young mom what what age were you when you had your daughter and then you mentioned drugs how, how did that relationship with drugs begin um, I was I was 17 when I had my daughter. Um, I'd been battling. I think by then I'd had an amphetamine addiction when I was like 14, 15. I'd had an amphetamine addiction. And then just before I was pregnant with my daughter, I'd started experimenting with ecstasy. Um, and it was all, you know, with the clubs and the music and stuff. Um and then after I had my daughter, things were, when it came to that kind of drugs, I was, I was pretty good for quite a while. And then um, what happened was I'd split up with my daughter's father, the, the social worker. I'd kind of realised how dysfunctional that was and come to some acknowledgement of that. And I'd got this boyfriend and I'd got this social group of friends. And um, for the first time in, in my life, I felt like I was doing the things that a normal 17 year old should be doing, you know, hanging out with his friends, having this, you know, nice boyfriend at a reasonable age. 
and um, my boyfriend split up with me and it totally broke my heart and it affected my social situation as well. You know, we'd, his, his social group was my social group. So all of a sudden I find myself completely isolated and completely alone um, and, and quite hurt. And there was um, a local um, drug user that lived in the, in the neighborhood. And she used to recruit um, vulnerable people and introduce them and get them hooked on crack cocaine um, and then take them to dealers. And in return, she would be getting paid, you know, she would be given free crack to help fend her addiction. And so she saw, um, she saw me and how I was suddenly isolated from everybody and how I was quite alone and very sad and just made a beeline like straight for me. Mm. What did that first encounter look like? What, what exactly, how did she persuade you into getting on board? Well, I mean, everybody knew her and knew what she was doing and that she was smoked crack and she came round and she bought some round and she did some and, you know, and I was upset and she offered me some time. She said, so, you know, here, do you want some of this? It's going to, you know, it's going to make you feel so much better. Uh, and I felt kind of, I don't know. I mean, I was so naive at the time. Um, I, I was like, I couldn't believe that she, because I knew that it was an expensive drug and, and that people didn't really like to share it. I felt like I had a friend. I was like, oh, wow, that's really nice of her. You know, I didn't understand at the time the, the ulterior motives, you know. Again, I was, I was quite lonely and I was just grateful to have some, some company. So, um, so she shared her drugs with me and then, um, and then she was coming around like every day. She was coming around and sharing her drugs with me. And I thought, oh, this is really nice of her. You know, I didn't have any money at the time. This is really nice of her. And um, she doesn't have to do that. And then um, I got my gyro. I think this has gone on for maybe about a week or so. And then I got my gyro. And within, I don't know, half an hour, like it had all gone. Like a gyro is your money that you get from the government like every Mm. week to look after you know to for you to look after yourself and um yeah I got my gyro and she came round and it was it was gone within half an hour you know smoked I hadn't bought anything it just smoked it and that's when I you know I knew straight away then I was like oh dear, you know I've got a problem already mm. and so then talk us through how did the the smuggling begin then how did how did that enter your life okay so um the in the neighbourhood, the the neighbourhood was had a, a, a loads of yarders there um, from people that had come over from Jamaica specifically to work in this in that industry in the crack cocaine industry, um, and they um, offered me. They asked me if I wanted to go and pick some drugs up, and you know, in exchange for for money. And at the time, you know, it seemed like in the position that I was in, it's, it was a lot of money. I mean, it, it really wasn't in, compar- in comparison to what they were making and the risks that I was taking. It really wasn't. But at the time, in the situation that I was in, you know, I think it was offering me, I think it was £4,000, which just sounded like loads of money. And it also sounded like an opportunity for me to get away from this environment that I was in, because I was really struggling um, 
you know, I, I came to the point where I had to like accept myself that I had this drug addiction. It was completely taking over my life. Um, and I hated myself for it, um, but I couldn't stop myself. I was just, I was too far gone then. So I also thought that this would be a good opportunity to get me out of my environment. You know, and I started fantasizing in my head that, you know, I could do that. I could get out of Gloucester. I could get myself clean. And then, you know, when I came back, I'd have this money and I'd sort myself out. And that's what I kind of like kid, kidded myself into believing that that was how it was going to work. Hmm. You were um, young and naive, Natalie. You, 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 you weren't to know. <laughs> I know. I, I know. I look, I, you know, I can see that now. But, well, I can see it, but... It's just sad, isn't it? How people pick up on that and then they and then they use that, you know, exploited. Yeah, yeah. Was it was it a sophisticated operation? I know you were bringing your your daughter along to on, on these trips. So how how did it work in a practical sense? Yeah, it was um, it was extremely sophisticated, and there was people working in many in different countries all connected to the same kind of ring like the the drugs would get brought in to Holland there was a crew of people working in Holland and then you know the drugs were from wherever they'd come from they would then kind of get moved then on from Holland to wherever whichever countries um whether it be England or Germany so you had people you know you had all these people all these networks in different countries um working together and it was kind of sold to me when about taking my daughter with me. It was suggested to me they, you know, that, that that was actually my kind of not get out of jail free card that I wouldn't even be suspected. You know, I was told again. You know, I was just I was just being fed anything. You know, they didn't care. These people didn't care about me or my daughter or consequences or or anything. They just wanted to care about getting me on board. Um, so they said to me that. You know, they've been doing it for ages, which they had. They introduced me to some people that had been doing runs for them. And they all told me, everybody told me how easy it was. Um, And then they said to me that if I took my daughter with me, it would be even better because I wouldn't even get looked at. Um, And it was, you know, it was it was it was sold to me by businessmen. You know, it was really it was yeah, it was it was just sold to me. The job was sold to me for businessmen totally. Makes it more convincing, I think. Um, now eventually yeah. how many trips did you take then, Natalie, before you were eventually caught? I think I then I think I was on my two, three. I think I was on my fourth. So by then it was my third or fourth. So obviously by then my confidence with the whole thing is is building up as well, mm. you know, and um, you know, and it is getting me away from Gloucester and my drug addiction. Um, but it was also as soon as I was getting back, you know, this the girl again, the one girl that had got me hooked on the stuff would be like zoning straight in on me, you know, and within days, the money that I'd earned would be gone again. Mm. So I just kept going through this vicious cycle in my head about, well, I'll go away this time and it'll be all right when I come back. And, you know, I think I suppose something had to happen, really, the cycle had to break somehow or, or another. 
And because and I, was it always the same place you were going to? Was it always uh, Venezuela, or were there different locations you were going to and coming back? No, there were different times. There were different places. Mm. Um, that was the first time I'd gone to to Venezuela. Mm. Um, I'd been to Holland a couple of times, and I'd been bringing stuff back from Holland, and then um, I'd also been to Jamaica, and. Yeah, it was the first time I'd gone to Venezuela. And it's really funny because, um, and I've um, written a lot about this in depth in, in my book. I've got a book called um, Escape from Venezuela's Deadliest Prison, available on Amazon. And I say about this quite a lot in there as when I was in the airport and getting ready and prepared to go to Venezuela, I had this feeling come over me this absolutely you know that like this my instincts but I didn't really know much about instinct then I wasn't very in tune with it first of all I missed the first flight to Venezuela and I had all these signs you know that I ignored telling me not to not to do this journey mm. um and my boss was with me, the, the you know, the guy that I was trafficking the drugs for. And I said to him, oh, I've, I've got a really funny feeling about this. Um, and he he said, well, don't do it. And then I just, but I wanted to impress him. You know, I, I wanted to be, I had a silly mind and wanted this to be a career. You know, I thought this could be a, a career. You know, I was just living in this absolute fantasy. Um and I wanted him to be impressed with me. And I thought that I was just being silly and pushed those feelings, you know, and that instinct to to one side and carried on and, and made the journey when, um, you know, everything was screaming at me not to. So talk us through the, the moment where it all came crashing down then. Oh, God, it was terrifying. So, but well, I was told, the thing is, I was prepped for it to a degree and I was told that um I would be pulled to one side in Venezuela I was told that the Guardia had actually been paid off and that they knew what I was doing um mm. and that they'd been paid for it and that what would happen is that the Guardia would pull me to one side at mm. some point and that for me not to panic you know they're just checking that they've got the right person and everything and that and I'd be on my way so so I was totally set up um, and again too naive to realize you know what what was going on even though again I had all these alarm bells ringing the whole time which I just chose to ignore I had so many opportunities to change my mind and I just plowed on you know and mm. um so I'm in the departure lounge and I the Guardia I saw the Guardia coming in and like my stomach dropped like I I could see they were looking for someone and I had to like reassure myself saying it's okay Natalie this is you know part of the plan and this is supposed to happen and they went up to the table next to me and there was a family there and uh, I could see them, the family showing them their passports and their ID. And I could see, okay, that's not them. I knew, I was like, it's not them they're looking for, it's me. So then they came up to me and my heart's just going like a hundred miles an hour, you know, I'm sure they can probably hear it just pounding out of my chest. Mm. And um, then they asked me to show them my ID and they asked me to go with them. And I just kept, you know, saying to myself it's okay it's okay you know even though I knew that it wasn't I knew that it wasn't I just think I was just trying to kid myself 
you know you know the same as like when you're a kid and you do something naughty and you think if you squeeze your eyes hard enough and like wish it hard enough you can like turn back time yeah you haven't learned because you haven't learned yet that that's not possible <laughs> you still you have you have this childish like belief in anything don't you well that's 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 where I was at and this was going on like it's gonna be okay it's gonna be okay just squeeze while your eyes you're being you're dragged finished. away <laughs> while yes. you're walking you away okay yeah just completely you know not accepting what's going on so then they put me in this um took me into like a, a side room and my suitcase was on the table and again and I thought shit this you know I'm pretty sure this isn't supposed to be happening you know you can, you can only convince yourself up to a certain point before mm. you really have to start accepting reality but even then I was like no 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 it's, they're just checking they've got the right suitcase. They just want to check, is this the right suitcase? And then they're like, is this your suitcase? And I'm like, yeah. And they open it up and the, the, they take my clothes out and the guardia's got a knife and he pulls the knife out. And th- that's my moment then of realisation and acceptance mm. that I am... Um, in big trouble. Yeah. <laughs> you can yeah. say it, Natalie. You can say <laughs> it. But, you know, oh, like, oh, no. You know, and he puts a knife, and I've just got this dread, absolute dread. And it just feels like my whole world is just crashing around me, literally, mm. like the walls are just falling in on me of like okay there, there's just there's there's just no way I can convince myself of it going any other way now I have mm. to accept it and um yeah it was awful and then at the same time trying to explain to my daughter what's going on you know to my three-year-old that's there with me trying to not frighten her you know and try and act like this is all completely normal um, you know, so, so not to, and so having to, to kind of keep my composure so that it doesn't project on, you know, my fear isn't projecting on onto her, you know, to try and just make it as as normal as possible for her. God. Was it straight away then being taken to um, a prison or a, a, some sort of detention centre or did they make allowances for you to, you know, arrange where to send your daughter and maybe, you know, give you some leeway? Um, they, so because I had my daughter, I would have gone to a police station, I think, instantly, but because I had my daughter, they didn't know what to do with me. So that night they kept me next to the airport was a like a, a guardia station um and they kept me there and they they didn't have any cells in there because you know people go to the police station when they get arrested but they couldn't take me to the police station with my daughter so they kept me there um and they handcuffed me to this railing for the night mm-hmm. and um yeah and uh, so and again i'm trying to justify this to my daughter and i remember that um I had a can of Coke and I'd gone to sleep at night with this can of Coke next to me and I'd woke up in the morning, like really thirsty, 
grabbed the can of Coke and just nicked it and it was just completely full of ants. I got an absolute mouthful, you know, full of, you know, Coca-Cola ants. Oh, it was oh, just dear. horrendous. Mm. Yeah, 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 it was just not a nice way to start, you know, just wasn't no. the you know, wake up, handcuffed to a railing in a Venezuelan jail with a mouthful of ants. It was just not mm. a great way to start the day. Mm. And... Um, and then for that first day, I ended up actually being taken around a lot and having um, forensic tests done. So I was being moved around from place to place, having to have, you know, fingerprints taken and um, DNA samples taken, all in like kind of like different medical centres. And then got taken to a place where the suitcase was there and they'd taken all the the drugs out of the suitcase and like laid all the drugs like the bricks like next to the suitcase and the press were there and taking photographs and um yeah so that went on and then I got taken to court but not put in a in a um, was it court did I get taken to court gosh it's so long ago it's like 20 odd years ago. I can't, I think I got taken to court where I was told that somebody, where I was told that somebody was going to come and take, I mean, it might be things like this might be where I've just blocked them out as well, where they're so yeah. traumatizing. Um, and I was told that somebody was going to come and take Nikita and that, um, oh, the embassy told me. That was it. I was put on the phone to the embassy and the embassy told me that somebody was going to come and collect Nikita, not from the embassy, from a from an orphanage, and that Nikita was going to be taken and put in an orphanage whilst something was figured out about how to get her back to the UK. And I was going to be put in the... I was going to be taken to the police station and that we were going to be um, separated and that... Um, you know, for me to say my goodbyes to her because I probably wouldn't see her. Well, I wasn't that I wasn't going to see her for ten years. Oh my god! Mm. I mean, did, did you have a trial? Did you have a lawyer, uh, or was it a kind of uh, a quick... not at that point? Not no. at that point because that that was just about getting Nikita um, out. Out, yeah. So I got took to the police station, and then. I mean, that in itself was just, mm. you know, I went in there and it was a, a cell, you know, a, a room that's, I don't know, about the size of a standard, you know, double bedroom in a, you know, in your normal like three bed house or something. And it had, and it was boiling hot, full of half naked Latino women, just all crammed like sardines in a tin. Um, the walls are like soaking wet from sweat you know it's dripping off the ceiling mm. um, they're quite intimidating mm. um, you know nobody can speak English not the prison guards not the police officers and um, not the um, prisoners you know it was just it was just mind-blowing you know I, I think my mind went I think I went into some kind of I don't know, self-preservation mood, I think, where, where I think my mind just kind of had to shut down from mm -hmm. what was going on just to be able to 
deal with it or to be able to you know process it bit by bit because it's just you just can't imagine anything like this being just possible you know when when you come from the western world you just don't think that these kind of conditions and that these things happen anywhere in the world you know it's just beyond belief it's just horrendous at that point did they talk to you at all about length of sentencing anything like that were you completely in the dark about what was to come no i've been told straight away i was going to get 10 years in that when i was in the when I was in, there was no message around. That was made very clear to me from the beginning. When I was in the airport, um, the Guardia actually used one of the airline's um, members of staff to translate, for, you know, to begin with. Mm. And she she said to me, she said, you're going to get sentenced to 10 years in prison. She said, we've, this is, you know, that's what happens here. And we've seen this happen and that's what will happen. And then... Um, I got a phone call with my British embassy um, and that's the very first thing that they said to me. They were very unsympathetic, very uncaring um, and they were just very matter of fact. Mm. They were like, right, this is what's going to happen. We can't do anything to help you. Um, We will try and do things to help you, but there is nothing that we can do. Um, we'll come and see you at the police station and give the police some money to get you some food. <laughs> they said, and hopefully they will buy you some food and not keep the money, but we can't guarantee that either. Um, and said, and you're going to be taken to a police station. And then after a while, you'll go to court, you'll get sentenced to 10 years um, and you'll go to jail and you'll have a 10 year sentence and there's nothing we can do about it. So this, yeah, and this sure. was just, this was just told to me and repeated to me over and over and over again by everybody and anybody, the prisoners, oh, you're 10 years, 10 years, 10 years. You know, oh, the police, you know, 10 years. Um, the consulate came to see me and, he, you know, he he was very clear. He was like, you're going to get sentenced to 10 years. There's already two other British girls in the, in the prison. They've been sentenced to 10 years. There's some other foreigners in there. You know, that's what happens. That's uh, It's 10 years. So I had to try and digest that as well and process that somehow does that did it ever sink in that that that's what was happening to you like when does that reality (laughs) yeah it took a year um Mm. because even even though everybody was telling me I, i don't know why i thought i was any special or any any different to anybody else but i just thought it wouldn't happen to me Mm-hmm. you know I, I, again I think it's that mode of self-preservation you know I don't think my mind was ready to accept that then I don't think you could have dealt with it um so you have so I just kept kidding myself mm. that um something would happen that I don't know there would be a repatriation agreement which mm. you know I was told wasn't going to happen. You know, I was told they were in negotiations, but they'd been in negotiations for four years and it didn't show any signs of progress. And I just kept kidding myself that somebody would come like the next day and tell me that there'd been a mistake and or that, you know, I was going to be taken back to the UK and it was going to be dealt with in the UK. And, and this is how I got by for, you know, the first year. Even I, once I was at the police station and into the prison, um, even then I was still kidding myself. And um, 
and then there was like a quite a horrendous incident in the in the prison and um I think I just come to this realization that it was going to be 10 years and I couldn't cope with it I was you know I thought I I can't I can't do this for 10 you know once I'd accepted it once I'd let go of that oh it's okay I'll go home tomorrow I'll go home tomorrow I'll go home you know after a year of that and not going home and finally being like okay I have to accept this now um yeah I took an overdose because I I just couldn't see how I could um get through it um and obviously in a prison like that in that kind of setup there is no help no support there are no counselors there's nobody talk you're literally on your own yeah yeah there's there's nothing there and and I don't think that they understand how traumatic it is for us western because it's such a cultural the behavior you know with weapons with gang violence with knife crime with murders with guns and it's normal behavior in Venezuela you know so when you've grown up in a country where that is acceptable and normal you don't find it you know it doesn't it's then not really traumatic because you've grown up with that as a norm so when you come from somewhere where that is not the norm and you're then kind of witness to that you, you know that there are no support networks around you. There's no sympathy. There's nobody to, you know, to, to cry to or nobody knows. You just have to, you just have to deal with it and 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 get on with it or or die. How did you find it being sent to a mixed prison? Because I think that that for me would probably be the hardest part of the whole story. So, you know, maybe being when you were sent originally to the women's prison and, you know, you were surrounded by women, you were probably felt a little bit safer. But being then sent to San Antonio um, to a mixed prison located off Margarita Island. um, How was that? It was terrifying. Mm. It was I remember like and I'd been given the heads up about that but I couldn't believe it like um I'd made I'd become friends I'd been in the police station for quite a few months and I'd started to learn a little bit of Spanish in there and there was this um Spanish girl as well called Lachina and we like had a friendship and she was always telling me about San Antonio and I couldn't believe it it was, you know, she she would say to explain to me, and I thought, okay, I must be misunderstanding this. Hmm. You know, she said to me, "Yeah, you San Antonio, mucho men, mucho fucky fucky, you mucho fucky fucky in San Antonio." And I was oh, like, Jesus. I was like, is this what she's? I thought, is she telling me that there's men there? But she she's not like she wasn't making out like that. I'd be getting raped. That it would be like a choice thing. You know, she's like, hmm. you boyfriend fucky, and I thought that can't be right. They must be winding me up, you know, or trying to intimidate me. Um, but she'd always tell me that it was a good thing to go to the prison. She'd say it's, you know, it's better there than it is here. You know, you have freedom there. There's a pool that, you know, and this is like, I can't be understanding this right because I'm understanding that there's a pool. I'm understanding there's parties. I'm understanding there's guns. I, You know, I just, they must be winding me up here. So when I got to the to the prison as I arrived there there's all these men like 
patrolling the roof um, and they look ref, you know, and they're patrolling the roof with, with, with arms, with guns on display. And I'm looking up at them and I'm thinking, why aren't they wearing a uniform? Why do they look so ref? You know, that's, they should be where, you know, officers should be looking smart, you know, they look, you know, mm. like, like crackheads. Um, and it's because they were, they weren't prison, they weren't staff, they were prisoners patrolling with guns. the with guns, patrolling the roof of the jail that they were being imprisoned in. What? Yeah, it was crazy. Oh my there was God. like there were two there were two men's side, um, and the women's bit was was in the middle of them, you know, to try and stop the the warfare. And it was gangs, you know, where um street crime, you know, from things that have gone beef that's gone on in the street that they people have to be separated, you know, they'll kill each other. You know, so they're put, depending on which gang they're on or what beef there is with other prisoners, you know, depends on which side that they get put on. And they're always trying to kill each other. You know, there's people have got hits out on them, you know, and there's rewards up, you know, and people have got prices on their heads. So they're always trying to escape, get into each other's areas and kill mm. each other. So that's kind of why these patrols, I assume were permitted to happen because at least whilst these patrols are happening you can see what's going on and they're not coming into each other's areas where if the, if the patrols aren't happening then i suppose it's just a free-for-all of you know everybody killing each other my god it's 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 mind-boggling <laughs> the way you're describing it uh, i just it's can't crazy. believe almost it. difficult to understand yeah how, it's, how it's, yeah it's so difficult to explain to people because I try my best. And then as I'm talking about it, I, you know, even to myself, sometimes I'm just like, it just sounds so mental, you know, you just can't imagine it. And I'm like, I'm trying to explain it. And I just, I know what it sounds like, you know, but that's how it was. It really was like that. How, um, how bad did it escalate between these gangs? How bad did it get? It was really bad. Um, there was a point where the worst that it got, I mean, there, you know, on a weekly basis, if not daily basis, people were getting killed. But it could be done, you just hear a gunshot or you wouldn't really get, like, witness to it too much. Like, mm. usually, if someone was going to get killed, it would usually be done when the women weren't around or the one of the gang leaders would go to the director of the prison, the governor, so to say, and they would specifically say to the governor, don't let the women out today because they didn't want the women coming because they're going to kill somebody. So mm. we, we usually knew when something was going to happen because we couldn't get out and normally we could get out and have total free access within the, you know, within the perimeter of the prison walls. But then... Oh gosh, one day it kicked off and it was absolute warfare. Like it was just they had they had um, a machine gun that they had they had a grenade and they blew up like this maxima maximum security part of the prison and it was just non-stop warfare from the two sides that went on 24 hours a day three days 
it was so bad that even the Guardia did not come into the prison. The police, the prison officers themselves had locked themselves away in an <sighs> office. And the Guardia, because the Guardia came in two times a day, at least, to do numero, like to do checks. You know, everyone has to go to their thing and they have to check that everybody's where they're supposed to be. Mm. And, and they wander in and out doing stuff anyway. But for, for three days, the Guardia, they didn't even come in because of the because of the violence and there were dead bodies that were being like taken they were being brought through our women's bit the men they'd made this massive hole in the wall so that they could get like the dead bodies and the injured out and the guys that were next to us and they'd come through our bit and they'd take them up to like the offices but the offices like where the hospital bit is as well that was all locked you know because the prison guards had locked themselves in so these dead bodies are then just left like outside like on stretchers on the patio underneath the sun but and then the ambulances wouldn't come like because it was all on the it was on the news it was all being reported like you know the ambulances wouldn't come because they couldn't get in you know, there's no point in them coming because they can't get in while that's going on. So these bodies are just left there, you know, for, for three days until eventually the guys, they, they wore them, you know, they wore themselves out, you know, probably ran out of ammunition, um, ammunition and, and, and wore themselves out from, from the fight. And while all of this chaos is going on around, what are, what yeah. are you doing? Are you hiding out, hovering somewhere for three days? We're trying, we're trying to help the, we're trying to help the guys like that are coming through, you know, like the ones that are injured that we can help them. We're trying to, you know, fix them up um, and just, and, you know, and there's guys that are coming over as well that are just absolutely terrified. They're like little boys that, you know, like we're all terrified, but, you know, there's men that are fighting this war and then there's boys that are coming over that are just hiding with us because mm. they're just so terrified and it's you know it, that's when your motherly instinct kind of kicks in then as well you know when you're trying to comfort comfort you know these these crying boys you know and tell them that everything's going to be okay whilst trying to avoid you know bullets yourself just having to be careful like where you're where you're going and just mm. trying to stay out of the way of it all my god that uh, took some strength and bravery yeah, Natalie. Speaking of motherly instinct, were you were you in touch with your daughter throughout this horrific time? And then, I suppose, talk to us about your journey out of it. Um. Yeah, I was in touch with Nikisa. Well, as much as I could be, because it was it it was difficult to phone to to try and maintain phone contact was difficult and expensive. Um, mm. because I didn't have much money. Um, there was a, a great charity, actually, and I'd love to take this opportunity to say thank you to them and the work that they do. They're called Prisoners Abroad. Um, and what they do is they, um, through fundraisers, raise money that and 
gifts of food and food parcels and clothes parcels that they then send to prisoners or bring over to prisoners in foreign countries that have no financial support and family support. And, you know, with, with this money, you can be able to buy phone cards and able to maintain some kind of contact with, um, you know, your, your family and your loved ones. So, um, I mean, without them, I would have had zero contact. So, I just want to say they're a great charity and if anyone gets the opportunity to be able to donate or, or do anything for them then it really does go to a good cause um so i try and phone as much as i could but again it was it was so expensive as well to phone england from venezuela and the director it was so dodgy the director over there actually had like this scam that he was doing with the phone where he had like this portable phone thing on a line that he would connect to the public phone and he'd kind of like break into the line and be able to get all three phone calls so in the end the phone actually got locked off because he was getting these phone calls and running up this bill that wasn't being paid. So in the end, we didn't even have a phone there, apart oh from people God. that I then had mobile phones. So to then from a mobile phone back back then, mm. you know, this was 20 years ago. You know, it's not like phones were now and tariffs how they are now. So from a mobile phone to be trying to phone England, you know, it's just it was difficult to maintain the relationship with Nikita but I used to write to you know I used to phone her you know a few times a year and write to her mm-hmm. all the time um and she recovered from it really well she was at a young age where you know as the years as the time went on with with um Eve her my friend who she went to live with that just became her norm Mm. You know, and and she just recover, and they do. They children recover very quickly. I think if with the right support and loving environment, and so um, yeah, she was she was she was good. And then, to, like at the end, um, so how I got out was I'd been I'd been there four and a half years, mm. and um. Oh, and I fell in love with a prison guard and him in love with me. And um, through the connections that he had and money that he was earning and money that I was able to get sent over from the UK then, we paid for me to have um, to have day releases so that I was I was at a point in my sentence where I was eligible for them. And um, paid all the right people off to, to to fill in all the correct paperwork, and paid off judges and solicitors to sign things where they needed to be signed. So um, I got day releases, and mm. I did this for I think probably like a um, a few months. And um, you know, we went through some battles ourselves you know with me as a prisoner and him as a prison guard you know we really had to fight for our relationship and um and he did he did he really fought tooth and nail but it got to this point where um I was I was abusing my um day release um you know uh, I was staying out for weeks at a time when I was mm-hmm. supposed to be coming in and out every day, I was staying out for weeks at a time. Jose was 
getting you know his friends in the prison to sign all these forms to say you know I had permission to stay out and this kind of stuff so then I got we got the warning we got told that um it had come to like a judge's attention and that was going to have my day release taken off me and um yeah by that point it was like I'd got this taste of freedom yeah you know and this relationship I'd been in this relationship we'd been together for quite a while before we were able to actually we were in love with each other before we were for a long time before we were able to be intimate with each other you know so then to actually be having you know to be head over heels in love and have this boyfriend and and you know this kind of life and it was like I couldn't bear the thought of going being back in the prison again like full time Mm. I was just like I can't can't cope with it I was like I'll have a breakdown you know my mind it's like it it was like my mind's already been through this once I can't go through it again um and I always had Nikita always in my thoughts you know I was like I've got this child that I abandoned that I you know that I owe it to you know that I have so much making up to do for this for bringing her with me on this trip and her having to live with Eve and you know I need to get back to to my daughter so we made the decision together that um yeah that I'd go out on a day release and that the the prison that I was in was four hours away from the Colombian border and that's all I needed was to be in another country Mm -hmm. Um, and then I'm kind of home free so we made the decision that um you know I'd get out of there and um go out on a day release and um and try and get across the Colombian border and then from Colombia, so, you know, start making my way back to Europe. Wow. Ooh, what a journey. <laughs> what a it's, journey. Again, like if if you get the book, you know, I can go into so much that there was so on that journey, there were so many things, you know, it rained that night, the mountains, the roads flooded, you know, buses were breaking down, you know, again, it's it was um it had its own um, yeah. things in store you know just that itself but again you know it is all in the book escape from venezuela deadliest prison available on amazon you find it all in there my god i gotta pick this up because I, this is a riveting riveting story and i'm just so impressed by you now you seem uh really content happy and past that that period would i be right in saying that yeah um yeah, definitely. Um, it's really bizarre, actually, and I don't know if this is going to make any sense to anybody, but at the time when it was going on, it was the worst thing in the world that could have ever happened. And mm. it was so traumatic. But now, years on, and I'm able to look back on it and the strength that I can now draw myself when I come up against obstacles sometimes where I can start to self-doubt myself and then I remind myself of what I went through then it makes me feel like hang on a minute Natalie actually you can achieve anything that you want to achieve you know you just have to believe in yourself you went through that and came through the other side and escaped and you know you're struggling to open this tin of beans you know mm. like you're going to be defeated by when you, so it's given me this this strength and um 
you know, opened my eyes to the world as well. And mm. how, you know, I, I lived in this, I don't know if it's this bubble, but I just thought the whole world was the same as England and Europe. And to see, you know, how other people live and to, you know, it's, it just, it just taught me um, so much. And I think that I'm a better person for it. Um, and it's been traumatizing and I've had to work through a, a lot of things but then mm. you know that's, that's part of any trauma is kind of reliving it facing it and actually trying to draw strength from it and trying to get positives out of a negative you know so that you can learn from it and and you know to move on and, and become a better person. Mm. Is it cathartic when you're writing all these thoughts down? Because this is your second book. Um, you have uh, another book, The Incredible True Story of a Young Mother's Miraculous Escape from Venezuela, Venezuela's Notorious Prison System, um, mm. Sentenced to Hell. So that was in mm. 2009 and mm. now your most recent. Mm. Is it? Do you find you're reliving it when you're writing it or is it cathartic for you expressing um, those thoughts? Well, I'm actually now currently working with some screenwriters and um, we're writing a TV series and it's about, and um, Venezuela is just one season of a five season TV series that we're writing. So it's, it's nice now because I've, I've, I've done these books and I talk to people and, you know, I'd really, you know, I wrote my book because I really would like, wanted people to learn from my experiences, you know, and I wanted people to believe in themselves and to never give up on themselves because those moments of desperation that I had when I thought there was no hope and no future, you know, I really want to try and use my story to inspire other people to be like, look, no matter how bad things can get, you know, you, but you can work through it. And no, but I've, it's not, there's, there is so much more to me than just Venezuela, mm. you know? So it's nice now with what I'm writing now to be able to share other experiences um, from that as well. And what I'd, what I'd love to do is I'd love to, I think, talk to like, you know, youth groups, um, you know, and, and go around, um, you know, maybe with my book and giving speeches to, I don't know, like probation services for young people that are on the path that, that I'm on and, um, you know, and try and use my experiences in that way to, to help people. Mm. Natalie, it's a, it's yeah. an incredible story. Um, tell us again, the, the names of your books and if our listeners want to find out more about your story, uh, where can they go? Okay. So if you go on amazon.co.uk or amazon.com or whatever country you're in, um, and then you can just put my name in. It's Natalie Welsh, N-A-T-A-L-I-E-W-E-L-S-H. Or the name of the book is called Escape from Venezuela's Deadliest Prison. Also, if you follow me on my Instagram, I usually have updates there on what kind of things I'm doing. If you want to go on my Insta, it's Natalie, N-A-T-A-L-I-E. And then it's W3LSH. So follow me on my Insta as well. And I put, I'll keep you posted on updates on there with things that are going on. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to, to share your story, being so open with us. Um, we really appreciate it. Okay, thanks. It's been lovely talking to you, Kevin.
Thanks, Natalie. Take care of yourself. Thanks, Patricia. You're listening to the Room 104 Podcast. FM 104. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.